Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Daydream Wars podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am excited to be back in a rhythm with podcasting after taking last week off. And I'm also really excited to share this interview with Catherine May, who wrote the book Wintering with you. Wintering really meant a lot to me, and I read it this summer, ironically, I know, haha. Um, but anyway, it's a fantastic book about what it means to really accept the truth of loss, disappointment and failure. I think it's a great book if you're thinking about your own process with grieving and are not that into conventional self-help books. We talked a little bit about writing anti-self-help books in this episode and that felt really true to me. I think what Catherine is sharing is not about this latest thing that you should do to shift your mindset or just believe in yourself more strongly. I think there's something really beautiful in how she encourages us to be honest with ourselves and to accept the darker, more difficult parts of life in a way that is empowering. I also obviously really loved uh, talking to her about the creative process and Catherine is also um, a word swimmer, which we geeked out a little bit about. And yeah, it was just really great to talk to her and I really hope that you enjoy this episode as well. A few updates from me. I am, like I said, back at work. Um, I had a nice time off last week, though I want to be honest and say like, it's quite hard to relax in a pandemic. I really struggle to completely switch off and not check the news so often. There was a fair bit of doom scrolling on my sofa, but there's also been really lovely um, hikes in the countryside here. I went swimming, I read a lot, and I just kind of enjoyed my home and being here and yeah, that's really good as well. So I, I'm not complaining, but <laughs> it is a weird year, isn't it? I am I'm experimenting at the moment with not having a smartphone anymore. I got a really basic Nokia phone that has the internet, but it has a tiny screen that really gives you no joy, basically. And it's interesting. I'm on day three now, and I can still check Instagram on my desktop I also found a way to post to it from my desktop but I'm not kind of with this phone glued right in front of my face hanging out on the sofa anymore and I welcome that and I I am also a little bit nervous about letting go of certain things I think mainly having this whole range of different messengers to connect with different people which I can now only do on my desktop that feels a little bit sad but I'm hoping that overall it's going to help me reclaim some of my attention span, some of my time, and that will allow me to be more present and a better friend in my relationships. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what we're seeking, isn't it? To be present and to be able to actually take things in. And that's not easy these days. So anyway, I also want to read you one ritual for my book, Rituals. Simple and Radical Practices for Enchantment in Times of Crisis, which is out now. I'll link to that in the show notes. There are many different ways in which you can buy the book and still support your local bookshop. So you can order online and support um, a bookshop that you care about locally. And yeah, if you read it and you want to share a review, I would so appreciate that. Please do reach out to me. So I'm reading um, the, the ritual... Um, it's called A Ritual to Get Unstuck, and it's in a chapter on body blessings. Sometimes I wake up with a kind of heaviness in my body that feels incredibly ancient. 
I will leave my bed because I need to take care of my dogs, but I'm incredibly reluctant and feel out of place in the world, even the world of my kitchen. I don't always know what makes these mornings difficult, but sometimes it might be a dream I've had that I can't remember. After all the morning necessities are taken care of, I snuggle back down with Orlando and Ernie, my dogs, and I put some music on. For this spell, I made a three-song playlist of music that feels uplifting but also gentle. I have danced to these three songs many times when I had more time and energy, and so now, when I just lie down, listen and let, it be, and let myself be, I can sense a muscle memory of what it feels like to shake things out and to literally, physically and emotionally move through something. Sometimes I lie there and just look outside of the window, and sometimes I start stretching a bit, feeling my toes, running my fingers through my hair to get some energy moving. This is a simple spell, but as you know, I think those are always the best. Mm. Yeah, so maybe you want to try that too. Make a little playlist for yourself. Dance to it when you have lots of energy, and then when you don't, it still feels like something you can return to, like a muscle memory. Thank you so much for listening again. Um, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll let you listen to Catherine May now. Oh, one more thing. Um... I am terrible <clears throat> at remembering what I actually want to say in the intro. I'm so sorry. Um, but my writing program is starting on the 6th of October. It's called Dream, and it's an offering that helps us hopefully to start processing a little bit of what is happening this year. It's Patreon-based as always, so you can pledge at any level and you'll get access. It's a six-week container. You'll receive weekly emails with journaling prompts from me and little pep talks, and then every Saturday... We'll meet for 45 minutes for writing practice together. I'll just open the space with a little meditation, but there won't be a lot of content because I believe we already have everything we need inside of ourselves and we just need to commit to the practice of writing and clearing our minds. So I'm excited because I need that myself. I need that writing time too. And I am really curious what will come through when we share that together. So again, I'll link to that in the show notes as well, and I would love to have you join us. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I am so honored and excited to speak to Catherine May today. It's a funny story. Her book, I, I read it in the summer. It's called Wintering, which was an interesting contrast. And I really, really loved the language, but more importantly, really what she described about a cyclical living, about accepting periods of, of life that are just a winter, regardless of the season that's happening outside. And I'm also really keen to speak to more writers about their creative process and about how they, you know, how they make a life for being creative. And so, yeah, Catherine is also teaching and just has so much to share about creativity and process and being with landscape. So Catherine, <laughs> I'm so happy to have you and really excited to speak to you do you I'm delighted to be here thank you <laughs> do you maybe want to begin by telling us more officially who you are if you have any titles that you like sharing or <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm Lord Catherine May no not really <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm Catherine May I'm a writer I'm mainly a memoirist I love writing memoir and creative non-fiction uh, but I'm also a novelist sometimes too um what can I tell you about myself? I have always been a teacher, so I'm now running online courses as well as um, as well as my writing, which I'm just loving at the moment. Um, 
I live by the sea. I'm completely obsessed with the sea. So, uh, and I swim all year round in very cold water. Uh, and I think that's just me. I don't, I don't think I've got any kind of grand titles. <laughs> I wish I had like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of Macar Catherine May or something, but sadly not. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, yeah, as you maybe know, as a listener to the podcast, I'm really into winter swimming as well. And mm. I only started last year when I moved to Scotland and I just feel such kinship with people who know of this experience so maybe this is an odd place to start but actually I would really love to hear more about how you got into wild swimming and what it feels like in your body and what does it what does it do to your mind and how does it fit into your life yeah that's so that's such a lovely way of saying it that there's kinship between all winter swimmers because I think <laughs> as soon as you meet another winter swimmer you know you're going to get along it's like a it's a very exclusive club but you can easily join by getting into ice cold water <laughs> Yes. So, um, I've always just been massively drawn to the sea. Um, I've always swam in the sea in the summer. And when I moved to Whitstable about 14 years ago, um, I told myself that I was going to swim all year round. And of course, I never did. Um, like everybody, you know, I kind of venture in in the summer. Um, but I did start taking part in our annual New Year's Day swim. Um, and that was kind of run in, scream, run out again. Um, but after the swim a couple of years ago a small group of people formed who wanted to start swimming all year round and I got invited in and I'm quite gung-ho about these things so I just turned up for the first meeting and found that only me and one other person had ever turned up to it this is the first time <laughs> the date had ever been made so we decided to get in anyway um and it was absolutely terrifying like without all of the people running in with you you'd to actually physically get into the water seemed just ridiculous it was like the daftest thing I ever did um, and I managed to stay in for a minute but when I came out and stood on the shore I realized that the fear had dropped away you know there was that little bit of me that thought I could literally die in here and then when I got out I thought I didn't um, <laughs> and there's something about that moment I, I don't know if you understand that too but the the fact that you've done this brave thing makes you feel brave again mm -hmm. um and I and ever since I I mean I swam every day that week and by the end of the week I could stay in for 10-15 minutes I my tolerance went up so quickly and by the end of the week I'd stopped wearing a wetsuit as well and I was in my swimming costume um and I've just carried on ever since and now there is a community of us and that kinship that community that it's a group of women men never want to swim with us <laughs> they stand on the shore and I think that's one of the things I value about it the most actually most of the things in my life I do in a very solitary way but this is a group experience and I say in my book that the sea always loosens our tongues so we get in and it's like this shortcut to intimacy we tell each other everything it all comes spilling out and it's <laughs> it's just wonderful yes you described this so beautifully and I feel really, really similar about so many aspects of wild swimming. I also feel like, yes, it's totally a community thing. And also, yeah, same, I do a lot of things by myself and really prefer that because wild swimming really <clears throat> means we're skipping the small talk. It's just such an extreme situation in a way yeah. to be, you know, meeting with a group of strangers out in the wild to strip down into your bikini or whatever <laughs> you're wearing in the water and then do this beautiful but also kind of really brave and weird thing mm. it's just very bonding and 
it um, is it feels yeah. very primal i think yes um mm-hmm. and it takes you you know you're you're experiencing these bodily processes that feel very extreme mm-hmm. and very urgent and immediate mm-hmm. and to do that together voluntarily <laughs> i just it gives you a little taste of of some kind of communal female life that yeah. and i do keep saying female because honestly the men do avoid us mm-hmm. um and i'm down with that you know? <laughs> Yeah. it's wonderful yeah. yeah it really is and I think it's um I, I would love to hear what your theory is I really didn't expect to talk this much about wild swimming by the way but it's great <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what your thoughts on this are but because I haven't really looked into the science of this I just did something that felt really good in my body and I noticed how mm. good it is for my mental health as well and my theory is that when I'm anxious and I go swimming my body is overwhelmed with this massive concern about basic survival that Mm. all these other little worries suddenly drop away and that's so it's almost like a brain reset in that way I I Um, think there's I think there's a lot to I mean you know like there's that cliched kind of oh staying in the moment thing Mm -hmm. that I always hear and roll my eyes but I think (laughs) that actually wild swimming is an example of what we really mean when we say that because you have to be paying absolute attention to what's Mm -hmm. happening right now because you're monitoring to make sure you don't get too cold you know you're looking out for those signs of hypothermia Mm -hmm. this is not going to sell it to anyone is it (laughs) um (laughs) um, and I and I think it it does take you right into the present space and I I find I forget the stuff I'm worried about just for those 10 minutes Mm. everything dissipates but there's all there's some really interesting science behind it um so studies have shown that um it gives you similar serotonin and dopamine levels to taking ecstasy wow so you really are getting a true high um and it feels like that i think you Mm -hmm. you do get that simmers high um but also there's some interesting stuff coming through about inflammation and there's been Mm -hmm. some links made between inflammation in the brain and Mm -hmm. and depression for example Mm -hmm. um and you know getting cold Mm -hmm. as we know because we always ice a joint if we fall over Mm -hmm. um it helps to cut down on, on inflammation so it could actually be having a very kind of direct physiological mm-hmm. effect in that way mm-hmm. yeah I'm gonna look out for that that's very interesting and does sound just sounds like it does really make sense yeah sounds true doesn't it it's got, yeah. a, it's got a truthiness as you say <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally yeah so I, I mean I don't want to go on and on about what it's <laughs> even though I totally could but I'm sure people would also love to hear about your writing like I said I really enjoyed your book wintering so much it has a mm. really beautiful cover as a side note which also really matters to me because you know oh yes that important too um and yeah i would just love to hear a little bit more about how it came to be what the process of writing it was like and maybe also what the process of sharing it with the world was like that's really interesting <laughs> okay yeah so um after my last book which was called the electricity of every living thing um, which was an exploration of the year that I went, set out to walk the southwest coast path and ended up with an autism diagnosis at the age of 39. Um, I was looking, I was obviously looking to think about what, where you go next after that. That had been um, a very personal, very intimate kind of emotional book. Um, and I didn't want to write another memoir. Um, And so I came upon the idea of wintering when I was chatting to a friend one night and she was 
talking about the stuff that was going on in her life at the time. She felt like everything was kind of falling down around her ears. Um, and I could see as she was talking that she was at the bottom of a cycle and that she would come back out of it again, but she couldn't. And I started saying to her, but you're just wintering at the moment. It's okay. This is like a, this is part of the process. And I, I just had this sudden realization that we don't talk about that cycle of low points and high points as if they're normal we we just come across across the kind of low bits of our lives and endure them and feel ashamed of them and feel like we've uniquely failed and everyone else is doing it right um and i went home and, and started writing the the notes for wintering um and i still wasn't sure if anyone else would quite get the idea you know but it, the response has actually been really incredible um and actually as i came to write it my, my plan was to write it as you know looking back over low points in my life but from one of the better points um but of course nothing ever you know goes the way you plan it and so as soon as I started writing it I had a series of kind of personal disasters um which you know led me into quite a deep winter and so I found myself writing the book from that place um which I think gave it maybe more urgency and more kind of contact with with what that felt like and is perhaps the reason that so many people have connected with it even in the summer I, I'm finding that so surprising the number of people that are still reading it in this weather <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so I think um from a process point of view it was actually very very hard to write because um I became my husband felt very ill first of all then I oh sorry I'm not the microphone then um my husband became very ill first of all and then I fell ill and then my son had to be withdrawn from school because he stopped coping mm-hmm. um and that made it really hard to sit down and write a book within all of that so it, the whole thing was written in snatched moments you know in kind of 30 minutes here 30 minutes there weird hours in the morning getting up in the middle of the night and going back to bed again um yeah I don't think there's any writing book that would recommend writing a book as I did it but I also think that that's actually how people write books in real life you know (laughs) and it it was a it was a process and the book happened and that's all (laughs) that's probably the best I can say about it yes no that's great that makes total sense (laughs) one of the things that I really loved about it or or rather, if someone asked me what was your main takeaway from wintering, I would say that this really gentle but deep sense of acceptance was really important to me. Mm. And I think when I approach the book or often when I approach any kind of guidance or wisdom around difficulty, which is obviously something I've, lo- I've done a lot this year <laughs> in the pandemic, we're recording yeah, this sure. in mid-August, um, I think the expectation is often like oh I will be given this tool and I'll apply it in the best way I can and if I'm really good or like really put a lot of effort into it then it will be okay or things will get better which is so hilarious really so what I loved about your book was just the sense of like no you can actually also just sit back and see and feel into what gentle acceptance could look like and maybe Mm. you don't have to struggle against the fact of life being a bit shit right now and, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that possibly changing again and just staying with yourself that was so liberating mm. I think and I say that also as someone who's been 
in the self-help world for a long time. I got my first self-help book, I think when I was 11. Right. Oh, wow. You were, you were an early adopter. (laughs) (laughs) I really was. Yeah. (laughs) So that was 96. And Mm. And yeah, I think there was just a lot of striving for getting better. And so I really just love this book as a countering weight for that almost. Um, That was very deliberately the intention as well, actually, because I, like you, um, read a lot of self-help books all through my life. And and actually, I mean, part of my um, journey in Electricity of Every Living Thing was unpicking that because Mm -hmm. um, for women of my age, you know, unless you were very, very obviously autistic in a way that young boys are autistic. Women of my age did not get autism diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And so we commonly kind of struggled through life and kept knowing, kept being really conscious that we felt differently to everybody else around us. And so like, it's very common for um, undiagnosed autistic women and girls to talk about themselves as feeling like an alien, Mm -hmm. um, as, you know, as knowing they're different, but not being able to articulate it. And that turns inwards, right? You Mm. know, you don't think, oh, there's some diagnosis that I'm waiting to get that I haven't got yet. And so Mm -hmm. this is all fine. You think I'm wrong. I'm a misfit. I'm getting this wrong. And I spent years reading every self-help book I could get my hands on, you know, just to try and find the answer that would help me do stuff like hold down a job without getting sick um, or stop my mental health from completely collapsing every couple of years um, or to kind of make and keep friends. You know, I I lived with a, a huge sense of rejection for a long, long time. So... I kind of wanted to write an anti-self-help book that said, you know what, you know how to do this and you are going through a process and your job is to listen to the wisdom that comes from that process, to honour it, to walk it, not to run it (laughs) or to swim it maybe Um, and to let it unfold because actually it's the unfolding that will show you the way that you need to go every time you change. Um, and I, yeah, so I, I did that very, very deliberately. And I kind of, there's, there's a section at the end of the book where I get quite angry about, you know, self-help culture and that kind of, oh, how would you put it? That kind of online culture of, um, you know writing inspirational quotes on Facebook um Mm -hmm. as if that solves everything and I it actually I get increasingly angry with that culture because I think it's a way of not caring and not feeling Mm -hmm. and I think the advice is often so misguided and so unhelpful and all it says to people when they inevitably fall out of these programs that don't work and have never worked is that they failed rather than the person teaching it and we need to start realizing that those books are written from such an ungenerous place that says that you know you're imperfect and Mm -hmm. you need fixing and here's the answer oh oops the answer is impossible to get that's your (laughs) fault (laughs) it's time to challenge that I mean I think we're beginning to understand that about the dieting industry Mm -hmm. maybe that's the that's maybe the best kind of parallel there that we we know that dieting doesn't work Mm -hmm. every bit of science done on dieting tells us it doesn't work it's time we stop dieting you know (laughs) yes um and I think it's time we stop doing a lot of things that are quite similar to dieting too yes 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think there's also this gaslighting aspect in oh, age yes. and law of attraction culture. It's like, well, you attract things because you've had negative thoughts and if you only change your thought patterns, everything would be better. And I think the reality is that we live in a time that's really become so complex, especially for people who are neurodiverse. I mean, for all kinds mm -hmm. of marginalized people in different ways, really. So I don't mean to compare that, but I think um, things are just a lot. There are a lot to navigate and to take in, <laughs> just as a yes, basic. They, are. <laughs> they really are. And I think what is asked of us as people in terms of how much information and stuff we have to process is really increasing and uh and it's, yes it's we definitely lot, yeah. yeah we definitely need tools and i love talking about things that work for me like sleeping a bit more and meditating and journaling and all these tools that are part of mm. that industry do sometimes really work for me but they have to come from a place of i don't know from a from just a place that feels real you know mm. and I gentleness think, yeah you know, from a gentle place and yeah and a, yeah, a true place, you mm -hmm. know, I, I think all of this talk of abundance and attracting whatever, <laughs> um, I, I find, I begin to find it offensive actually, because we know that there are systematic patterns of exclusion mm -hmm. in our society. We know very well about racism. Um, we know very well about the, you know, ableism and the way disabled people are excluded from mainstream discourse. And when I hear people wittering on about how they've manifested something, <laughs> it's like, oh, it seems like manifestation's only available to rich white women. Isn't that strange? Yes. And I, I think you have to question what greater wisdom in the universe would bring that about and whether <laughs> that's a force for the good. I'm not really sure. So, yeah, I, uh, I, have, I have zero tolerance for a lot of stuff, I'm afraid. But... I think it's really important to find a way to still have a conversation about how to survive and cope and flourish. Mm -hmm. um, but one that's just gentler and kinder and more receptive to difference mm -hmm. and less fixed in what it hopes the outcomes will be as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. That and is that's about remodeling what a teacher is too. Yes. Yeah. Not someone that just hands down mm -hmm. tips, you know, that's, that's <laughs> not what teachers do. Like great teachers, the great teachers of history listened and were in dialogue mm -hmm. with their students. And yes. that's what a lot of self-help has failed to do, I think. Mm -hmm. I feel bad about saying this. I love self-help. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I really feel you. I think you have articulated so much that's been on my mind really beautifully and I'm really glad that you, yeah, I'm really glad that you said that. I totally agree with everything you said. And I'm going to go and apologize to my self-help books after this. I'm <laughs> going to corral them up in the corner and go, I'm so sorry, guys, let's never be parted again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just also so much about how we relate to that kind of stuff, isn't it? And it sounds like you've come to a really great place. So that's wonderful. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I think it's, I think, I think we're ready for the next generation of yeah. self-help books, maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I'm on the lookout for. Definitely. Yes, me too. <laughs> so I'm wondering with this year, and I, I've mentioned we're recording this in mid-August, and I just really like at the moment to ask people what your experience of the pandemic has been like so far, because I think there's a storytelling aspect to it that feels really important in acknowledging that this is really, mm. this is really big. And yeah, so I would love to hear from different voices what it's been like for them and 
with you, I wonder if, if your experience with wintering and the depth that you've given that has, has helped you navigate this, this time. Yeah, I think I think I actually feel quite at home in the pandemic. Um, I wrote uh, my a newsletter quite early on, and the title was um, "My Anxiety is Feeling Pretty Damn Smug Right Now." <laughs> and actually, I think like for lots of people that are quite anxious, moments like this are quite affirming because it's like this is what we always thought was going to happen. Um, and I I was kind of in my element quite early on. Um, that's not to say that, you know, I mean, there's been so many tragedies in it and friends have suffered horribly. And I spent a lot of time trying to find ways to be useful despite being separate. Um, but for myself, I have to say that I know this space really well. I'm quite at home in it and I've probably got more done like more productive work done than I have done in a long time and and I say that you know having despite having been kind of under loads of pressure because my son's out of school and all that kind of thing um I I seem to thrive in these really adverse conditions um I kind of find my grit a little bit I think mm. um and I I've loved the I've loved the lack of social contact <laughs> um, so I know it's kind of a bit misanthropic I know but um I've actually, I've loved the quiet. I've loved the lack of pressure to constantly be, be doing. Um, yeah, it's been, I think life's been simpler. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually, I really appreciate that. And it, I think in the long term, it's really helped me to reflect on um, how I go back out into the world um, mm -hmm. as an author in particular, because there's a lot of pressure, I think, to say yes to every event that comes up, you know, to go out and be visible, to go out and meet the public. Um, and I've never been able to say before, well, actually, I, I find that as the mother of a young child, I find that really hard. Um, mm. And, you know, particularly as a mother of a young child who suffers from anxiety, um, it's actually very hard for me to go travelling because it costs my family you know in terms of their kind of emotional well-being um and actually in lockdown it's been great to be able to say oh I can't go anywhere mm -hmm. and I'm going to find other ways to communicate with people so I, like I started a podcast I'm, I'm now one of you mm -hmm. I'm <laughs> learning learning the ropes very much but um I think that going into the future I will more often say no to stuff mm -hmm. actually and I think it's let me make visible the kind of the mother work that I do behind the scenes because mm -hmm. there's been a lot of pressure to pretend that's not there for mm -hmm. loads of us. And I think that's true for loads of different kinds of carers too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, it's been a revolutionary time, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I obviously really resonate with your desire to say no more often. <laughs> mm. I've been doing that too. And I love I love sometimes being in person with people, but a lot of the time it feels pressured and it has been really like a big reset button hit in yeah. terms of what we commit to, I guess. And so yeah. I'm really glad to hear that you found ways of making that work. And It's amazing um, the stuff you don't miss. You know, the, yeah. there's loads of stuff I have missed without yeah. a doubt, but mm -hmm. um, not least my lovely swimming group. Um, 
but it's been fascinating the stuff that I haven't missed at all and mm -hmm. that I've been really glad isn't there in fact mm -hmm. um, yeah and that's an insight you know that's that kind of you know I've, I've been since my autism diagnosis I've learned a lot about self-care and I've learned how I wasn't taking care of myself um and I think I've had some new self-care insights really mm -hmm. yeah me too mm -hmm. I love your podcast, by the way, and really want to link to that in the show notes. I would love more people to hear about it. It's really beautiful. And oh, yes. And you must come on when I'm re-recording the next series. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I've, um, I've paused for now because um, I was finding the tech really hard. <laughs> the tech is really hard, for yeah. sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you how you make space for creativity in your life so you have a family and mm -hmm. things i see a lot of books behind you which i love i wish everyone <laughs> could see they're beautiful and so i know you've also taught people and you currently are also like you said teaching people online mm. creative writing courses i wonder yeah how has that shifted for you over time how did you first get into it what is your what is your feeling about these things this year <laughs> So I've, I mean, for the longest time, I've always combined writing with uh, other, other stuff. I've always worked in education, actually. Um, I've worked kind of at all stages of education, right from primary through to university. Um, and I've always, since, I, since my mid-twenties, I've written part-time and, uh, and done various other things part-time. So I'm, I'm very used to that pattern and I, I really like it actually. I, I don't see it as a compromise that I earn a living outside of my writing because actually that shift of attention between writing and working is, is very healthy for me. Like if I've got too much time to write, I actually don't find much to say at all. <laughs> I just end up staring at the screen. Whereas actually that, I, I mean, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I guess. Um, <laughs> But it's also just doing something else that takes my mind off it. And I have my best thoughts when I'm not trying to think. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how creativity works for me. And I, you know, I've taught around writing. Wow. For, yeah, probably, oh my gosh, 15 years or so. Um, and that's so useful to me because it makes me articulate all sorts of stuff about my practice that's unspoken and that is, that I kind of know intuitively, but maybe don't appreciate or really understand um, and it also brings me into contact with you know other learners and I see myself as a co-learner always rather than as a you know somebody who's got all the answers um, and that yeah that's a, that's always supported my creativity and I so I left my um, permanent position in a university a couple of years ago I used to lead the creative writing degree at Canterbury Christchurch um, and because, again, that, as part of that cycle of being an autistic woman and just getting absolutely burnt out by work, um, I'd felt like, oh, God, I have to give up teaching. I can't cope with it. Um, and it's taken me a couple of years and I've realised how much I miss teaching, but also how I'm good at it, but not in the way that fits a kind of classroom schedule. Um, so I've just, I've just come back to that yet again to really, you know, dig into just supporting people I love helping you know I've got a feeling you're a helper too <laughs> yes <So. laughs> 
<laughs> yes, of course. And I feel exactly the same. I also love teaching, but I couldn't commit to a full-time local teaching mm -hmm. career and the pressure around performance of an academic career is wow <laughs> it's a lot and there's just all the stuff that comes with it that mm -hmm. is so meaningless and you can see it getting in the way of your students experience of of being mm -hmm. a learner mm -hmm. um and it's getting certainly getting in the way of you as a human being enjoying life in general um yeah it's interesting isn't it i think more and more people are going to move away from those kind of jobs and i think again lockdown is gonna yeah show people that they're mm -hmm. not very happy yes yeah i guess so um i'm excited about your writing courses coming up do you want to tell us <laughs> a little bit more about them oh yeah i'd love to actually because i'm completely obsessed with them at the moment so <laughs> i will not stop talking um so i've just i've just put my first two courses up online um one is called wintering for writers um and that's based that's like a self-directed course just based on the number of people that wrote to me after they read wintering to tell me their winter and how they wanted to share it um and so many of them were writers and so i've put up a short course for people who are like in the middle of those despairs that happen to creative people you know like rejection failure being ignored being blocked feeling isolated um, yeah, so that's really exciting. I've got my first lot of students working on that at the moment and they're just being fantastic and creating beautiful things and talking to me about it on the chat boards. I'm just loving it. Um, and then I've got my first sort of talk course launching in September. I'm still working on the, the back end of that at the moment, ready for it to land. Um, that's called Writing Your True Story. So it's for people who are approaching their first non-fiction book um and it really is like it's my perspective on it rather than any other perspective um about how you think about writing a story that is based on real life so that that might be a memoir or nature writing or a family history um travel all of those really juicy genres that we all kind of dream of writing um I've been thinking for a long time about how to make that approachable for people. Um, and so I really hope in that course that, that that's what will happen. Okay. So, yeah, I'm so excited about <laughs> it. I can't, can't even begin to tell you how much I've enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm really excited too. And I, I just am so in love with memoir as a genre, but also mm. as a healing tool. And so excited for more people to get into it and make space for that kind of expression and oh yes yeah. absolutely and that's and i i think the rise of memoir has been so important in yeah. us understanding like loads of different ways yeah. of living our lives and loads mm -hmm. of experiences i i think it's such a revolutionary genre actually yeah. yeah and i remember when i first started writing whenever i said i wanted to write memoir everyone you say oh misery memoir because that was <laughs> <laughs> it was you know the idea that if you wrote a memoir you were sort of saying your parents didn't love you or something like that um and actually I think contrary to that it's such a life-affirming genre and it, mm -hmm. it's so full of kind of inspiration and and just wonder at the different ways that you can be a, a human um, yes. I'm passionate about it absolutely yeah absolutely yeah I agree totally before we go, is there anything that you would like everyone to know about wintering, both as your book and as a concept that we haven't touched on yet? Ooh, that's <laughs> lovely. Okay, so wintering is, I think that the main thrust of my point about wintering is that it's inevitable. You can't mm -hmm. stop it. 
you can't control it, you can't shorten it. It's, um, it's a state of being that is natural to not just humans, but to all of nature. So in the book, I look at how animals hibernate. I got to hold a dormouse, which was like the cutest thing in my whole life. Um, at how trees survive the winter, um, all of those natural processes that actually show that nature points towards winter. Um, and I also show how it resonates through folklore um, and myth as well. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's this thing that we've forgotten we know about. And I think I like to think that I'm kind of uncovering it for everybody rather than inventing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's beautiful. And where can people find you and your courses and all the things that you're up to? Uh, right. So you can, I have a website that is katherine-may.co.uk. Um, if you find me there, you can, there's links to like my Instagram, my Twitter, um, everywhere that you might want to find me and to my courses and also my newsletter and podcast. So um, I'm quite easy to find because I talk a lot. So um, I've always got something to say. So I'm always writing it in some format or other. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm so glad you do. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been oh, really thank wonderful. thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Thank yeah, you. same. Thank you so much. Really, really good to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs>